Annenberg Radio News. In the book trade, the biggest dealers, millions. Oh yeah, easily. We take a trip to the book fair where the biggest story there is the business. Good afternoon from the University of Southern California and welcome to Annenberg Radio News for Tuesday, February 11th, 2014. I'm Ani Ukar. With California still in a state of drought, the Metropolitan Water District Board declared a water supply alert today. The MWD has doubled its budget from $20 to $40 million to provide more effective public outreach programs and improve conservation efforts. Metropolitan maintains a conservation program that offers rebates and financial incentives to residents and businesses throughout the region. Uh, we have a number of incentives to residents that range for, from um, investments and rebates for high-efficiency clothes washers and toilets, as well as outdoor devices such as smart irrigation controllers and rotating sprinkler heads. For more information on what you can do to help California get out of this drought, go to BeWaterWise.com. It wouldn't be a holiday weekend in L.A. without traffic-infested roads. This weekend, the usual suspect is the 405. You had to see that coming, but Andrea Martinez has the devilish details. For those of you with getaway plans this holiday weekend, you might want to reconsider, or at least stay away from the 405 because Jamzilla is taking over, and as the name suggests, you can expect nothing but traffic jams throughout the roadways. The L.A. County Metro Authority and the L.A. Department of Transportation gathered today to announce this weekend's 80-hour closure of the 405 northbound between Getty Center Drive and Ventura Boulevard. Dave Sotero, spokesman for L.A. County Metro, warned commuters to stay away from the northbound area altogether. Stay off the roads to avoid the area, to plan a nice weekend at home perhaps. Uh, if you must travel, to divert onto other freeways and bypass the West LA area if you can. The freeway will be closed for pavement operations from Friday the 14th to Monday the 17th. Only two northbound lanes will remain open during the day, while all five northbound freeway lanes will be completely closed at night. Sergeant Kimmy Porter from L.A.'s Department of Transportation says planning is key. If you're going to the West L.A. area, you know, check the map, everything is online, to determine which routes to take that will be best for you. Find out what locations are open and what streets, and then give yourself ample time to get there. Leave early enough so you can be on time. You can still have an enjoyable Valentine's Day. You just have to make a few adjustments. The California Department of Transportation's website will also provide traffic updates and road conditions during the closure. As for why the Metro Transportation Authority chose this holiday weekend for Jamzilla closures, Sotero says it was the only option. Stay off the roads to avoid the area, to plan a nice weekend at home perhaps. Uh, if you must travel, to divert onto other freeways and bypass the West LA area if you can. So be sure to stay clear of Jamzilla this weekend or at least take the northbound Wilshire alternative to Sepulveda Boulevard. Andrea Martinez, Annenberg Radio News. It's Black History Month. Many celebrations are taping, taking place throughout the city, including one in downtown Los Angeles. Sean Birch has more. It was a packed house today at Los Angeles City Hall, with city leaders celebrating Black History Month. Hundreds of people gathered on the lawn, where they enjoyed a catered lunch and listened to jazz music. One of those attendees was Wendy Smith, who spoke about the importance of Black History Month. We as a people don't have uh, too many celebratory moments. And when we do have them, I think it's important for us to come out and uh, show solidarity and uh, just be together and, and uh, support, support our history. Lynn Bernard, who was also at the event, talked about the rich history of African Americans in the city of Los Angeles. It's, it's important to acknowledge the uh, contributions 
of African Americans to the history of this city. As a matter of fact, the first settlers of this city were, were as much African American as they were Hispanic and, uh, and uh, Native American. So it's, this city is actually a cross-cultural um, city more than probably any other city you know, in the country, at least certainly on the West Coast. Several celebrities were honored for their contributions to the African-American community in Los Angeles, including actress Angela Bassett, R&B singer Charlie Wilson, and actor Lou Gossett Jr. Federal judge Consuelo Marshall urged the crowd to pass along the importance of Black History Month to their children. But what I feel here is the spirit and the hope for our future. With this spirit and this hope that you feel today in celebrating Black History Month, I ask and challenge you to pass it on to our young people. Mayor Eric Garcetti was expected to make an appearance at the event, but did not show up. Sean Birch, Annenberg Radio News. It was the Dreamers who helped enact legislation for undocumented children of immigrants. Now, they're calling on Obama administration to give their parents a path to citizenship. Members of the Full Rights for Immigrants Coalition were in Van Nuys today calling on the president to halt deportation policies for their law-abiding, tax-paying parents. Juan Jose Gutierrez, a coordinator with the coalition. We all feel that it, that is uh, past overdue uh, for the president and the Congress of the United States uh, to walk the walk. And that means that if we are going to be going around the world uh, uh, willing to go to war, to safeguard the human rights of individuals uh, who are far away from the United States, we should be prepared to solve the problem of the undocumented. In total, the Obama administration deported 369,000 undocumented immigrants in 2013. Seems like California would have a pretty clear idea on what diversity means. But as Camila Riquestas reports, some students and faculty at Cal State LA have very different ideas of how broadly to interpret it. Cal State LA is revising their general education curriculum. The school's diversity program already includes race, gender, and sexuality. Now they're adding religion, age, and disability. Students complain that this alters the core aim, ethnic diversity. Psychology professor Kimberly King explains. One of the most important aspects of the diversity requirement is understanding how to work in a multicultural society, being able to um, understand the histories of the peoples of the United States, especially the underrepresented minorities who uh, students don't often learn about. The proposal is still up for debate. On the last vote on the proposal, 20 faculty members favored making ethnic studies a requirement, and 29 voted against it. Students believe ethnic studies should be a requirement. Other professors feel it should be an option. At a news conference today, faculty and students presented a revised proposal which calls for students to take ethnic studies as a class requirement. Professor Gretchen Peterson, the chair of sociology, says there's already an option to take ethnic studies. Those of us who are opposing the current motion really see opportunities for ethnic studies to become an integral part of general education throughout all of the requirements rather than focusing just on one requirement. When this measure wasn't passed, students protested. They hoped their demonstration would force faculty to see the need for a focus on ethnic studies alone and not a part of general diversity. King says ethnic studies were first brought to the Cal State system more than 30 years ago. 
She says it is a part of the CSU history and they would like to continue it. King says the students are the driving force for keeping diversity more focused on ethnicity. The students are really pushing this whole thing, but it was really the students' actions that took it to a higher level and that are making us even more committed to it because that's what our students want to learn. According to King, they will continue to fight and hope they will achieve their goals soon if they do not achieve them today. Camille Riquestas, Annenberg Radio News. Fans of an unusual desert landmark are mourning folk artist Leonard Knight, who died last night at the age of 82. Knight came to California in the 1980s. He started building his own mountain out of recycled materials, paint, sawdust, wood, and scraps. The result was a rainbow-colored work of art near the Sultan Sea. Knight painted messages like God is love and Jesus loves you on his mountain, but he was known to be friendly toward visitors of all faiths. One of the biggest little stars in Hollywood history has blinked out. Kylie Morgan brings us the story about the life of Shirley Temple. For three years in the 1930s, Shirley Temple Black was the biggest star of the U.S. box office. Her smiling face and endearing performances lifted the spirits of many during the Depression. As a little girl, she went on stage with exactly 56 curls on her head every time, and learned to cry on cue for the camera. I've thrown away my toys, even my drum and trains. She retired I from show business at the age of 21 and eventually became a United States diplomat. Richard Nixon appointed Temple Black to the U.S. delegation to the United Nations. She also served as U.S. ambassador to Ghana and as chief of protocol and ambassador to Czechoslovakia. Temple Black died last night in her home at the age of 85. This morning, people honored Temple Black's death by placing flowers on her star in Hollywood. Kylie Morgan, Annenberg Radio News. Time for the weather. Temperatures will sink to the mid-50s tonight, but will hike back up to a high of 80 degrees tomorrow and hover around there on Thursday. Later on Annenberg Radio News, we hear what L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti is doing to keep the stars in Tinseltown. Los Angeles may be the home of the movie industry, but old and rare books are getting their share of the limelight. Andy Basoyan reports on the weekend book fair in Pasadena. An antiquarian book fair may bring to mind stuffy scholars and stuffier books, and at this weekend's fair in L.A., that stereotype may not have been too far off. Most of the people here, they are semi-academic. Most of them, you can't. It's very hard to come into this job without having done your academic homework. For Roland Balgrave, a London-based art and book dealer, the fair is also big business. For me, personally, I don't know, it was probably £350,000 a year. Yeah, but that's small. In the book trade, the biggest dealers, millions. Oh yeah, easily. It's big business. Balgrave's not the only one with big bucks on his mind. 
Alicia Buenazzole is showing off a book the size of a small television. The Liber Chronicarum uh, by Schedel, Hartmann Schedel. This particular copy is the first edition printed for the first time in 1483 in Germany. It's a, a wonderful illustrated book. Um, some of the illustrations were made by the young Albrecht Dürer, which is one of the most famous Renaissance engraver um, of Germany. In case you're in the market for a 500-year-old Hartmann Schedel, by the way, this one's going for... Uh, $150,000. Buyers in that price range also attract vendors like Diane de Blois. She sells low and high-priced antique personal items and ephemera. Basically, something like... An etched glass bell to uh, summon your uh, servants, Downton Abbey style. For every dealer selling rare antiques and Latin books, however, there's also someone like Peter Glassman. His specialty might be a bit more recognizable. Roald Dahl, author of Charlie the Chocolate Factory, um, E.B. White, Charlotte's Web and Stuart Little, Hugh Lofting, Dr. Doolittle, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter, Suzanne Collins, The Hunger Games. Every book I mentioned we have a first edition of. The book fair is a busy and definitely lucrative market space. As Roland Balgrave put it, So there's a market. Otherwise I wouldn't be in a job. It's like in an ocean. <laughs> the predators are <laughs> <and> hunted. <laughs> the fair will be back in 2016. You might want to start saving now. Andy Vasoyan, Annenberg Radio News. The carts and grills of illegal street vendors are an everyday sight in Los Angeles. Many vendors say they are tired of being harassed by police. Today, they went to L.A. City Hall to call for legalizing their businesses. Daniel Carr Crawford reports. There were no bacon-wrapped hot dog grills or taco stands around City Hall today. Instead, they were replaced by angry street vendors. The target of the protests was the L.A. City Council, which has failed to pass a motion recognizing street vendors as legitimate businesses. Isela Gracian of the East Los Angeles Community Corporation organized the protest. She emphasized how important street vendors are to the Los Angeles economy. We really are um, pushing the city to be more creative and not only on their own, but engaging citizens in developing those creative ideas. Gracian says that there are over 10,000 street vendors in Los Angeles. And for many of the vendors, sales from food carts are their only source of livelihood. For the most part, the people who sell on the streets, it is their livelihood. They've been locked out of the formal job uh, workforce, and this is how they've been able to um, somewhat survive and help their families survive. Many of the street members are undocumented immigrants. Maria Gonzalez has a young daughter and worries how she will provide for her. You know, it sucks. It sucks a lot. And I have a little girl, and, and I wouldn't want her to see me without... I'm sorry. I wouldn't want her to grow up without me, you know? And it sucks, but what else can we do? We have to move forward. I mean, I'm only 30 and I don't have papers, and I've been fighting for that, but I mean, it's, it's hard as it is, as hard as they make it. The cops always harassing us. Inspection always comes and just takes all our stuff. I mean, what else can we do? A motion to legalize street vending was introduced in November. A report was supposed to be issued within 90 days, but the deadline has since passed. Some businesses are opposed to street vendors because they don't have to pay rent and thus can charge far lower prices than brick-and-mortar restaurants. 
There have also been complaints of vendors blocking sidewalks with their carts and concerns about unsafe food. While there are a number of pressing issues facing the city's leaders, the efforts of the East Los Angeles Community Corporation and the vendors themselves are certainly being noticed. We were unable to reach any city council members for comment. Daniel Carr Crawford, Annenberg Radio News. Mayor Eric Garcetti has just appointed veteran entertainment attorney Ken Ziffrin as LA's newest film czar. Garcetti's goal is to keep Los Angeles the entertainment capital of the world. To find out more on the status of the film industry here in LA, I spoke with Mitchell Block, who has been a film school professor here at USC since 1979. I asked him what impact he thinks Ziffrin could have. None, because it's not a matter of who is working with the city of Los Angeles. What's important is what can Los Angeles do for the companies that make production here cost-effective compared to production in Canada or in China or in London or in New York or whatever. And so different is a terrifically knowledgeable, well-connected entertainment attorney, but it's really a bottom-line issue. And when you're in a city that can barely fund its schools, not repair its sidewalks, struggle to um, get its garbage picked up. It's hard to see the city putting money on the table to entice more production to be here, our state. If you could give any advice to Ken Ziffrin, what would you say? Money. What can Los Angeles do to be financially competitive with other cities, our states? that are bidding for our product. And the issue really is how can we justify spending money to subsidize for-profit programs for the sake of keeping 200 people here or 300 people there or 1,000 people somewhere else uh, employed. So what we're seeing in the entertainment industry is a shift that's global to production moving where it's cheapest make work, and simultaneously where the budgets continue to go down as the industry continues to fragment. That was USC Film School professor Mitchell Block. Things my mother told me. Sit up straight. Wear a sweater. It's cold outside. Text me when you get there. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. Detours, the storytelling podcast from Annenberg Radio News. Join us at the ARN booth, 5 p.m. on Mondays. Rufus, the giant fish, was a beloved fixture at the tiki-themed Bahuka restaurant in Rosemead for more than 30 years. That is, until the restaurant closed last year. The famous fish is known for his appearance in the Johnny Depp film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Now, Rufus fans have come together to find the 30-pound fish a new home. Fans gathered support on the Facebook page Hidden LA. They found Rufus a new home at Damon's Steakhouse in Glendale. Hidden LA has raised $900 to move Rufus and pay his for his vet bills. Middle schoolers in Highland Park have been connecting to their past and present by means of some truly old school audio. In the first of two reports of the two reports on the Luminous project, Jennifer Velez reports on how history is helping kids feel safe in their neighborhood. Old music is important because everything has to start from somewhere. My parents, they've 
shown me the Mexican ways of hearing the music and they showed me um, the history of Mexico. So when um, they, when my parents said that music is more passionate in Spanish, I've got conclusions that if people from Mexico moved to the U.S., they would take their songs, their customs with them here. Vincent and Esperanza are eighth graders at Arroyo Seco Museum Magnet School, and they have just summed up some of the reasons why Charles Loomis created Spanish Songs of Old California, the oldest collection of Spanish songs in the Southwest. The eighth graders learn about Spanish Southwestern culture artifacts through a school partnership with the Achi Museum. Ms. Griffith, one of the eighth grade teachers of the program, explains. We actually started the program, I believe it was in 2003, when we were with the Southwest Museum up um, on Mount Washington. And then when the Autry acquired the Southwest, they acquired our school and our class as well. In the eighth grade, the students um, spend the first semester training as junior docents. They work with Autry staff to learn about California history from the time of Mexican um, settlement through the time of um, that it became a part of the United States. I think it's really fun and it's exciting. The kids get a chance to do things that other middle school students don't ever get a chance to do. They work on a daily basis with museum staff. They get to teach and train and create a history. The Magnet School is located in Highland Park, a working class predominantly Latino neighborhood with a history of gang culture. In recent years, the neighborhood has been experiencing great changes with investors renovating homes for young professionals and hipsters, who find the neighborhood attractive because of its proximity to downtown Los Angeles, accessibility to public transportation, and its walkability. Despite these changes, the students still don't always feel safe. Sometimes I do feel unsafe because of a lot of um, bad things that they say on the news. Like, they say there's a lot of gangs and a lot of stuff um, around our community. The school's partnership with the Autry allows the students to learn about their community without fear. Before learning about Mexican-American history at school, many students were not aware that their neighborhood had strong cultural roots they could relate to. Charles Loomis made his musical collection in hopes that the sonic culture of Mexican-Americans and Spanish speakers would be passed on. Here is Edwin. I live by the Loomis home. Well, I had passed by there, but I didn't really know what it is. Built in the late 19th century, the Loomis home sits at the corner of North Avenue 43, and served as a recording place for Loomis's collection. He recorded many of the songs with local Latino singers and musicians. The collection is a historical representation of Highland Park, which was founded after the Mexican-American War. A part of Spanish songs of Old California can be heard on the Autry's website. Jennifer Velez, Annenberg Radio News. February marks the start of Girl Scout cookie season. Thin mints, anyone? Stephanie Case brings us the irres irresistible, unrelenting sounds of a Girl Scout hard sell. Hi, would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookies? Hi, my name is Amy. My name is Madeline. I joined Girl Scouts when I was in second grade. 
we're trying to sell Girl Scout cookies to earn patches and go to fun places. Can I have the, the peanut butter and the caramel delights? There's a lot of people, so they, they like to buy Girl Scout cookies. There's a lady who bought 39 boxes, and I'm like, whoa. We almost ran out of cookies from that. She was like our fifth customer. My name is Maria Wright, and I'm a troop leader for Girl Scout Troop 714. It really teaches them about responsibility, and it teaches them about a, making a business plan, which is the most important part for us. They have to come up with how they're going to sell them, how many boxes they each want to sell, what their goal is going to be, what they're going to do with the money. My goal is 800 and when you do 750 or more, then you go to Universal Studios. We usually go to Camp Surf. If you raise enough money, you, you get to like spend the night there by the ocean and they teach you how to surf and they teach you how to like survive outdoors. You stay in a cabin and then you usually see like little baby seals. Hi, would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookies? Usually we're all shy but we learned how to like speak up and talk to people. We're confident in ourselves. Thank you. Have a good day. Now we check in with Ben Capinos of Annenberg TV News, who, have, who has been covering the racially charged flyers that were distributed at USC and UCLA. Ben, what's the latest? So there's been controversy today surrounding racist flyers, which were received by Asian student groups at both UCLA and USC. The flyers contained very vulgar language and some slurs, which demeaned Asians and women, and they even included swastikas. That is terrible. What are, what are officials saying about all this? Um, well, I actually spoke today with DPS Deputy Chief David Carlisle. DPS is handling the case here at USC, and they're cooperating with um, officials at UCLA. Here's what he had to say. We are going to discuss that case with the U.S. Postal Service to see if we can track where the letter came from. UCLA is doing the same thing. We're working with their detectives. But right at this time, our leads are limited. Do we know how students are reacting to this? Um, well, last night at UCLA, they held a rally, which um, some students estimated had about 150 people coming in and out, some faculty, a lot of different speakers there. So far, nothing quite um, at that level here at USC, um, but maybe here in the coming days we'll see. We've seen a couple statements from different Asian student groups on campus, but no real activism here. Okay, so we'll be sure to look out for that. Do you have any other stories to update us on? Yeah, so tonight on ATVN, we are covering um, students at Cal State LA want ethnic studies to be part of the requirements for every student, but we've talked to the school, and they said that they are not changing their GE requirements. And also, we can tell you where to get freebies for voting for your new USG president and vice president. Terrific. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that. Thanks, Ben. Yep, no problem. Thank you. San Diego is electing a new mayor today to replace former mayor Bob Filner. The runoff election will pit Kevin Faulkner against David Alvarez. Faulkner is considered the frontrunner after he came in first of 11 candidates. If he wins today, the business-backed city councilman will be California's first Republican mayor. The elections come six months after numerous sexual harassment lawsuits forced Filner to resign office. 
Keep clicking on our website, AnnenbergRadio.org, for more news about South Los Angeles. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Annenberg Radio. Today, the GOP-controlled House passed a measure that would raise the board the borrowing gap. The bill allows the Treasury Department to continue borrowing for another 13 months, delaying another potentially crippling, crippling debt debt crisis until after the November elections. The move will certainly draw fire from the from the Tea Party, but Republicans made it clear they were not looking for another battle with the Democrats. Bob Costas has become almost as strongly associated with the Olympics as gold medals. He's been reporting on the game for NBC since 1992, but tonight Costas will be watching from the sidelines. Since his, since his arrival in Sochi, Costas has been suffering from a serious eye infection in both eyes. Now Costas is handing his seat over to Matt Lauer, at least for tonight. Costas hopes that with the help of an antibiotics and eye drops, he'll be back behind the desk Wednesday. That's it for this Tuesday. We had help today from Denise Guerra and Christina Savan. Our production assistant is Alexis Macavinci. Graham Clark produces our arts and culture segment. And the newscast producer is Andy Vasoyan. Our executive producer is Katherine Davis. And for all of us here at Annenberg Radio News, I'm Ani Yukar. <laughs>